0: Welcome to Community Vineyard Church Podcast, a community of believers who passionately worships the Lord Jesus Christ, declares His truth, and shares His life with a world in need. Now, for this week's message. So, we called this play the parable of the good father. Traditionally, this parable is the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm not trying to knock that by any means, but I want to explain to you why we decided to call it what we did. So, this play is not just about the prodigal son, it's also about the elder brother. And it's not just about the two sons, it's about the good father. And perhaps in no other parable or story or biblical account has there ever been uh, a story that reveals the inclusive nature and the heart of God toward his broken humanity than this parable. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So would you pray with me real quick? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to share this message. This is your play. This is your sermon. I give this time over to you. Would you speak through me? God, I pray that everyone here would hear from you today. That everyone would know when they leave exactly what condition that they're in without shame, without condemnation, and most importantly, that they would get an accurate view of you and your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in. So, the first condition that this parable speaks to, this is the more obvious one. This is the one that a lot of people resonate with, that a lot of people hone in on. It is the condition of the prodigal, the prodigal condition. Here's a definition about this. The prodigal condition is marked by an innate belief, which is a core belief, where we realize that we could never be perfect enough to earn our value and acceptance with God or others based off of our own performance. And so, we knee-jerk in the opposite direction of finding our value and pleasure and acceptance in the system and the things of this world. This condition, therefore, is the trap of licentiousness. Licentiousness meaning worldliness, right? So, as you could probably tell, um, who was played by our beloved Rowan, he, yeah. (laughs) Um, He, okay, so he gave us a really good example of what it looks like to be in that condition. He knew that he couldn't earn it because he couldn't put on a front like his brother did. And he knew that he couldn't, Uh, you know, he just couldn't get his act together. But the problem is, is that he, and also through worldly influences, started to take on an identity as being a prodigal. So the idea is, if I can't measure up, if I can't put on the good front, then I might as well just go full steam into the world and try to find my value and try to find my place there. And we see the same thing in the real parable, where the prodigal son, he left, he did the same thing, and he ended up in a pig's pen, which is, uh, in the Jewish mindset, that's really the, the lowest of the lowest places one could be. Okay? And the saddest thing about this is that for a while, it actually seems like it's not such a bad place to be in. Because for a while you get a temporary fix, and you think you're getting pleasure, and you think you're getting life, just like Lucius did, but eventually you find out that a pig pen is waiting. There is a place that 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 leads, and it's not to life, right? So that is the more obvious condition. So the second condition that's in this parable, this one's kind of sometimes, I think, overlooked, sadly, um, because if the prodigal is an example of being lost in the world, Then the elder condition is something that's hidden within the church. And this is something that that we need to pay attention to. So the elder condition is marked by a different innate belief or core belief that occurs when we actually think that we can measure up to perfection by our own efforts, behavior, and performance in order to meet, or excuse me, to merit and control acceptance with God and others. So this condition is the trap of legalism, okay? And we saw that with uh, Maximus, played by our beloved Brady, and uh, he uh, he did a wonderful job too at this. Um, Brady had the front. Like, he put that front on. He had that facade. He was able to play the game. He got his ducks in a row on the outside, right? And, you know, for a while that worked for him. Until he actually had to experience his brother being restored without doing anything to deserve or earn it. And when he saw that, what was underneath started to come out to the surface, So, this condition is a condition where we can hide, just like the prodigal, except this one masquerades within the church, okay? And I want to say this before I move on. Um, I was spending some time with the Lord about this. What's at the core of these two problems? Like, what is really the core issue? Like, I know it's an easy answer to say sin, obviously. We're all, we all fell into sin. I'm going to get into that later. But I think at the very core the issue is valuelessness. When we feel like we don't have any value apart from what we can do, we're tempted to go into the elder condition. And if we feel like we don't have any value apart from what we do, and we can't play the game, then we go into the prodigal condition. And these are the two ways that uh, fallen nature manifests in the world. Okay? Okay. So, I want to talk now a little bit more about the relationships between prodigals and elders, okay? So, here's the thing. There's a contentious problem that exists between prodigals and elders. There's a problem of contention where the two build walls rather than bridges, okay? And ultimately, they push each other further into their delusions, both of these conditions play off of each other and push each other further into their delusions. At the heart level, the prodigals want the elders to be persecuted and silenced, while the elders want the prodigals to be punished rather than restored. And back and forth they go. It just... Keeps on going. I'm going to read a verse to you. This is Proverbs 14, chapter 12. Or, me, chapter 14, verse 12. Um, there, this is important. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Both of these conditions, I'm submitting this to you. In and of ourselves in our fallen condition, apart from Christ, the way that seems right to a man is one of these two conditions. It's either elder or prodigal. But here's the thing. They're both opposed, and this is the problem, they're both opposed to the single way, truth, and life of Jesus Christ. So let me talk about this. um, Think of the context of this parable. Who was Jesus talking to before he began telling his stories in Luke 15? A lot of times people will point out just the elders. But Jesus was whining and dining with sinners. He was whining and dining with prodigals. And he was whining, but he wasn't getting drunk. He was fellowshipping, but he was without sin. But nevertheless, the broken in the world were drawn to Christ. And then here come the Pharisees the super hyper-religious guys. They come in, and they see Jesus whining and dining with the prodigals in the world, and they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You can almost hear their attitude. Ew, sinners. They're so gross. Get them away from me. They were afraid they would get stained by the world. That was the problem with being a a Pharisee, right? So here's the thing. Jesus tells us that who of you, if you have a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, how many of you would not leave the 99 and go after the one until he's lost? And then I tell you that there is more celebration in heaven over one lost sinner than a bunch of religious guys who don't think they need it. Uh, He goes on to say that, you know, a woman loses a coin, right? And then she scours through the house until she finds it, because that coin has value, you know? It has value. And then he says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that that repents than all these guys who don't think they need it, right? Here's the thing. When Jesus gets to the parable of the prodigal son— He's he's now talking to an audience of two. He's talking to elders, and he's talking to prodigals. And you can think of the the verse that says that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. I think this story was in that nature, that he was giving grace. The prodigals, when they heard this story, they were intrigued. I bet they drew ever closer to Christ. I don't know what the elders did. Well, we do. They crucified him. But nevertheless, Jesus preached the importance of us understanding that there are two ways that we can be in this world apart from him. So this leads me to what is the answer then? What what was the mission that Jesus came to accomplish? That's the question. I want you to think about this today. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. I think this really clearly Shows us the heart of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want to pause there before I go to the next verse. It says, for God so loved the world. Can we define that? What does that mean? That means God loves the jihadist. God loves the abortionist. God loves the murderers. God loves the gangbangers. God loves the drug addicts. God loves the alcoholics. God loves the prostitutes. There's no one in the world that doesn't fit into that list of who God loves. And he says that whoever, that's everyone, whoever believes in him. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus because you think that you're too lost, or you're too broken. You are loved. Jesus came for people just like you. It goes on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That deserves a pretty big amen right there. He did not come to condemn The world, but to save the world through him. That's Jesus's mission, right? I want to propose one thing to you real quick before we move on. If we are out to condemn the world because they behave like the world, we're never more or less like Jesus. He did not come to do that. Even when he was crucified, he said, Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing. That is the heart of God. See, here's the point. Without Jesus and his pure gospel of grace, there are only two ways for you and I to be. We're either going to be worldly prodigals or we're going to be religious elders. There's only two ways that we can be. And we, like the Pharisees, We often do not realize the hard truth that both are lost sinners. Both need saved. We all need Jesus. We all need his grace. Whether we can pretend like we have it all together or we're falling apart. We all need him, right? And so, it seemed like this was the the only option for humanity for thousands of years, But God, God had an ace up his sleeve from the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ to come and fix this problem because he wants to fix this problem. It turns out that this is the truth here. So Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 9, let me read this to you. Let this sink in. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, this is where the change comes. Being rich in mercy, Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. And kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay? Did you know that the Apostle Paul, in Galatians chapter 1, he makes an astonishing statement. He says there is only one gospel. There's not 45,000 plus denominational gospels. There's only one gospel. And that is the gospel of grace. So if you've never heard it, I'm going to just briefly share it with you. Here's the gospel. When we fell in Adam, we all fell into sin. Every last one of us have been born into a fallen world. Every last one of us have experienced the sting of sin. Every last one of us have experienced the fear of death. Every last one of us have experienced shame. Every last one of us have experienced valuelessness. When we fell, that's what we fell into. And through life, we've gone on one or two directions. The two directions that I've been telling you about this whole time, we either became religious or we went, and we, we went into the world. But Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, stepped into our darkness, stepped into our delusion. He entered in to the condition of fallen humanity. And he lived the life that set us free unto grace. And he died a death that paid for every single one of our sins. And you know why that's important? Because when we sin, it breaks relationship. When we sin, it makes us turn away like Adam in the garden, running into the bushes, and God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Sin makes us turn. But Jesus came, and he entered into that. And when he died, he paid for the sins of the whole world. Every sin, past, present, future has been taken away through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'll never remember your sins again. So if you're saved and you feel condemned because of sin that you've struggled with, would you just let that go? God wants you to know he loves you and he forgives you. If you have not yet received this truth, would you just know that God loves you? And he paid for it. And check this out. Not only did he pay for your sins, he also crucified the very problem of sin itself. So that when you come into the kingdom, you're called a new creation. There's a third condition that I haven't talked to you guys about, and I'm about to talk to you about it. But I want you to know that, that he made a way for you in Jesus. All right, let me, let me move on. So the one and only gospel, that gospel of grace, that you can't earn it, you can't lose it, it's a gift, that, that gospel is actually the cure for the two conditions. Those two conditions get cured here. So this is the third condition, the prodigal elder restored. The third condition is the prodigal elder restored. All right. This is what this looks like. It looks like restored sonship, free from both the powers and the errors of worldliness and legalistic religion. In this condition and this condition alone, are we finally free to have unbridled access to the Father at all times, no matter what. On our absolute best day and on our absolute worst day. The blood of Christ is that powerful. It's so powerful that it alone can keep us truly free, fully covered, and in unbroken relationship with God on our absolute best days and on our absolute worst days. Both when we miss it the most and when we need it the most. See, that's the scandal of grace. Paul, he said, where where sin abounds, grace abounded all the more. And you know what he got accused of more than anything? Was preaching that because we're saved by grace, it's okay to continue in sin. He got accused of that more than anything. And I think that sometimes we're so afraid of being accused of that, that we go out of our way to condemn sin and try to get people to understand that it's wrong and, the, and stuff like that. But it usually ends up sounding like moralism and all that. But, but here's the thing. Perhaps the, the best evidence that we've actually preached the gospel correctly is that people could misunderstand it to think that we mean that it's okay for us to continue in sin. Because that's what was leveled against Paul. Paul. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that we can't say that that's not what he's saying. He, he addressed it and said clearly that's not what he's saying. But the reason that we can tell people that is because if Jesus went to the extreme that he did to save you from that condition, why would you want to go back and live in it? Like, it's not, it's, it hasn't helped us at all, um, as we could see in this play. It does end in death, but God is all about life, and he wants you to have life. So I just wanted to briefly share that with you. All right. So to close, um, if you have Bibles or notebooks, can you just put them down for a minute? I have a closing activity for us. And I also have a word from God for you, okay? I ask God to give me a word for, for all of you guys in attendance. And I have one for you, and I, and I really, really, really want you guys to trust what I'm telling you here, and, um, and I'm just going to pray for God to reveal it to you. But I want you guys just to close your eyes, Okay. I want you, in your imagination, I just want you to see Jesus standing or sitting next to you in your imagination. And I want you to ask him a question. Ask him, which condition am I in right now? Are you in the the uh, restored sonship condition where you're in the party, feasting with the Father, in unbridled relationship, in the party of the ages, drinking the, the new wine, enjoying the fellowship. Are you there? Ask him if you're there. Ask him, you know, maybe you're, you're in the field where the elder is. Maybe somewhere along the line you forgot that you were not saved by your own works and you're striving and you're tired and you feel dead and it's not working and it's hard to trust God and that he loves you and that he saved you. Maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe um You're in the prodigal condition. Maybe somewhere along the line you you forgot that Jesus is the greatest pleasure that we could ever experience. And now you've been duped into thinking that it's something else. Maybe that's where you're at. There's no shame, there's no condemnation. God's not mad at you. Just ask him, where am I, God? What condition? Now that you've heard that answer, I want you to picture him smiling at you without even an ounce of judgment. without any anger look into his eyes of love look into his gaze I just want you to feel his compassionate love for you right now in whatever condition you are in and while you're looking at Jesus I'm going to share with you what the father told me for you Son, daughter, I have loved you from before the world even began. I have had you in my heart since before time was. I've always known you. I saw all of the things that you are most ashamed of doing. And that you have had done to you before they ever happened. And my word for you is this. I love you with an everlasting love. I do not hold any of your sin against you. I know who you really are. And I am making you into that image and likeness every day of your life, whether you are aware of it or not. Your sin is not too big for me. Your rebellion or religion is not too big for me. I see it all. And I love you no less and no more because of it. You are mine forever. I will never let go of you. My son Jesus took all of your sin and shame into himself at the cross. And together we crucified it there. It has been so utterly and thoroughly dealt with that I cannot even recall any of it. You are as clean as I am clean, and you are as white as snow. I have saved you. You don't have to earn it, and you can't take it away. What I want you to do is to trust me with these truths that I am saying to you. I want you to trust me with who I say you are in me. And together and with trusted others, I am going to weave my, my life and love into your heart until you are fully persuaded and convinced that I am your good father who loves you and forgives you and will never let you go. You are safe with me. I want you to leave here today remembering these truths and my presence. I love you and I am with you always. Let's just pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for that word. God, thank you so much for the parable that you gave us in Luke 15. God, thank you for revealing the problem that was going on, that still is going on, and for not stopping there, but actually enacting a cure for it. And God, if there's anyone here who has not experienced that, I ask that right now you would move on them. I ask that you would move on their heart and that you would open their heart to see how much you love them and to see what you did. I just ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come even now and to enlighten the hearts of everyone in attendance here today. God, I just, I just bless everyone here. And I trust that every word that went out, you will not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you. like, you guys want to close this thing out with a bang. All right, let's do that. Uh, I apologize we're about to tear the house down a little bit. All right, look, here's the thing. We have not answered one question that's still remaining. You know what that is? What about the elder? You know, the parable just ends right then, doesn't it? It's like the biggest cliffhanger hang- cliff in history. The son's over here pouting and angry and Jesus or the father's like, "Hey, you know, he just leaves it open-ended. So here's the question. What happens to the elder? The prodigals are stored. What happens to the elder? Well, <clears throat> biblically, we don't know, right? But I have a hunch that the grace of God is powerful enough to woo even the most religious of us into the party. Just ask the Apostle Paul. Thank you for tuning in to Community Vineyard Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's message, click the share button and be sure to subscribe to our channel so that you'll be notified of our latest content. To learn more about Community Vineyard Church or how you can partner with us, please visit our website at www.communityvineyard.org. Until next time.